Hello, everyone. Inside today's Locked On Canadians. It was the last Habs Panthers game of the year. It was just as dumb as all the rest of them. How did the Habs fare? What does this mean for the tank? All that and more inside today's show. Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 814 of Locked On Canadians. We are, of course, your daily Montreal Canadiens podcast, and we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you get your team every single day. And if you are listening to us wherever you find your daily podcast, thank you so much for subscribing. Tell all your friends. If you are watching us on YouTube, thank you for subscribing. Tell all your friends. Ring the bell to get notified every time we post a new episode. I am your host for this evening's proceedings. I am, of course, the one, the only Scott Matla at Scott Matla on Twitter. Habs Panthers, last meeting of the year. And this was, I, I thought maybe, maybe we'd have a normal game. Maybe, just maybe. Nope. I mean, by the definition of everything that happened in a Panthers-Habs game this year, probably pretty normal, but it's still... I will I will get to Radko Gudis in a moment, but let's focus on uh, the two big parts here that I want to take away from this game, the good side of things. Sean Farrell scored his first professional goal, his first NHL goal, his first game at the Bell Center, scores a minute 23 into the game. Weird shot, not a great angle. Alex Lyon just straight up fumbles it, goes right through. Farrell gets his first professional goal, and everyone is beyond hype. And to be honest, I'm beyond hype for that. I love that. I got the alert, and I come running back in the other room. I was just trying to grab something to snack on during the game. Absolutely love that for Sean Farrell. And by the end of the night, he was on the Canadians' top line. A lot of line shuffling in this game. Dennis Gurionov down to the fourth. RHP down a line. Obviously, Sean Farrell promoted. Then there was, let's say, 57 minutes of garbage thrown in the middle of all this. Canadians just kind of wilted. A, a dubious penalty against Justin Barron allows Florida to take the lead on the power play. Matthew Kachuk adds one shortly after that, after a poor read from Baron, and that's not trying to harp on the guy too much. It was just one of those rare mistakes and ended up in the back of the net. In this game, the Canadians did not have it at all. The Panthers were the better team by far, despite playing the night before, but they weren't exactly looking like a well-oiled machine. It was a sloppy game where the Canadians just had it less, and they did not play well across the board in this, and I don't think anyone would argue that fact in this game they capped it off besides giving up an empty netter to uh matthew kachuk for his hat trick on the night uh harvey pinard gets his 14th goal of the season gets a nice deflection on the power play off a mike hoffman i'm calling it a pass based on where he put that which 
the chemistry there is phenomenal. We're going to talk a little bit more about Harvey Pinard in our second segment here. But this is a frustrating game because I looked at it when I talked with Lauren, I talked with other people. It's winnable on paper. They're playing Alex Lyon on a back-to-back, mind you. Played in Toronto yesterday and they played in Montreal tonight. So Florida's playing on a back-to-back. The Canadians were the rested team. And the Habs just didn't have it in this game from the outset. David Savard did not play lower body injury. Kirby Doc did not play upper body injury out at least a week, which means he probably did suffer some sort of, uh, I don't want to call it a concussion. He was pulled by spotters to check after he was hit by, uh, I believe it was Peyton Krebs in overtime of that Sabres game earlier in the week. And the Canadians offense just struggled. Everyone looked a little bit slow and looked a little bit behind the pace. And again, the Canadians weren't the ones who played the night before. And it's frustrating because this was a winnable game and they just didn't show up for it. And I know winning bad tank, everything else as of right now, the last I checked, the flyers were losing. They're down one with three minutes to play in the third period. As of right now, the Canadians are still in their sixth or uh, fifth overall spot there. One point ahead of Arizona, who doesn't play until tomorrow, play on Friday. They've lost five in a row. They're not going to catch Anaheim unless Anaheim starts winning games here. They're probably locked into fifth overall. It's a, it's a frustrating end, and the Habs still have the toughest schedule remaining. Uh, Anaheim is ninth. I don't think that bodes well for them. And then all the way down in 25th is the Coyotes, which should give them some separation here. Uh, before we go into our next segment, though, I think the biggest thing I want to talk about is I'm glad they don't play the Panthers again this year. I don't want to see Radko Gudis' stupid face again. And I can handle, there are guys who are hard to play against. Shea Weber was hard to play against. Joel Edmondson can be hard to play against. Brendan Gallagher, when he's not hurt, is hard to play against. Redko Gudis is hard to play against because he's constantly trying to injure people. He has no regard for anybody. The officiating in this game was just crap across the board for both teams. The officials kind of went, eh, whatever. They watched someone take the stick out of Mike Matheson's hands and throw it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then late in the game, uh, Justin Barron breaks out on an odd man rush. And Redko Gudis goes down to block a shot, but he does not go down, stick out, or putting his feet out and kind of sliding backwards where he can use his stick kind of as like a uh, a fin there as a way to block a shot or deflect it. He goes head down straight into the ankle knee area of Justin Barron on that, wipes him out hard into the boards full speed. Barron's already passing me. He gets the shot block. Yeah, I've never seen anyone block a shot by diving head first towards someone's ankles. And there's a lot of players in the league that I can go, that's a freak accident. You know, I don't think he meant to do that. Radko Gudis is not one of those players. Tom Wilson is not one of those players. Brad Marchand is not one of those players, et cetera, et cetera. It's an, it's an intent to injure. He's not, he can disguise as I was trying to block a shot. No, you don't get that benefit of the doubt. And the officials kind of let it go later on in the game. He comes up and he absolutely buries Jesse alone from behind with a cross check, takes him down away from the play. And then has the gall to complain that he doesn't understand how that's a penalty. Puck's not there. You cross checked him and it was in front of everybody. 
I don't know what you want. And then Harvey Pinard scored on the power play. It doesn't matter at the end of the day, but I don't, I'm glad I don't want to see Radko Gudis again this year on a team featuring Matthew Kachuk. You're the dirtiest player on this team somehow, which is just mind blowing to me. I hope you miss the playoffs. Hope if you make the playoffs, you get bombed out in the first round because you're a paper tiger of a team. I don't want to see the Panthers anymore. I don't want to read about Brooks Kepka anymore. I don't care. Live golf's a joke. I don't want to hear about him. I don't want to see Radko Gudis' stupid face anymore. I want to move on and just suffer through the rest of this season at this point. And with the whole suffering aspect of things means we're already looking ahead to next year. Good news is Rafael Harvey Pinard is doing something unexpected. What's he doing? We're going to find out coming up in our next segment. But first, today's show is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. With the March Madness tournament heating up almost to the end, there's no better time to get in on the action than with America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel. And that's right now. If you are a new customer to FanDuel, you can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. And that's $1,000 in bonus bets back. If your first bet does not win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more and claim your no-sweat first bet there wager on everything threes drained money line point scores combine them all into a same game parlay if you are feeling lucky all on an app that is safe secure and super easy to use so don't miss your chance at a no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars when you join FanDuel just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up and remember make every moment more with FanDuel the official sportsbook partner with us here at Locked On. And as always, please gamble responsibly. We had a bit of a show planned out. We're normally doing the mailbag. Laura has run into some technology issues, so you are stuck with me, the host with the somewhat trying his best dis most dis. I've got mad bars, yo. Let's let's face it. No one can touch these rhymes. Eminem's got nothing. We're going to talk about next year a little bit here. And I know everyone's thinking, ah, well, next year, we got to wait and see what we have in the draft. Saw a very interesting tweet this morning from at Slim Cliffy on Twitter using uh, some of Michael Blake McCurdy's heat maps from uh, Ineffective Hockey or HockeyViz.com. Nick Suzuki has played with two major sets of wingers this year. Cole Caulfield and Kirby Doc early on in the season. And then Josh Anderson and Rafael Harvey Pinard in the second half of the season. Nick Suzuki is the constant. The wingers are different and they are two completely different shooting patterns. I do not have those charts here because I didn't want to download and put them up because it's a lot harder to explain on a non-visual medium. But the point being with Caulfield and doc, the, the hot areas, the big shooting areas where there's more volume and threat coming from is on the outside, the circle, the face-off dots with Suzuki and or with uh, Doc and Caulfield. And in the middle, the slot area in front of the net there, blue usually means less threat, less opportunities are being created from there. With Josh Anderson and Rafael Harvey-Pinard, swap that. The middle space there is a deep, dark, oh-my-God, gushing wound red that is just a high-threat area. And the circles are getting a little bit more blue, a little bit lighter, less shooting coming from there. And my thought is, I love to know. I love knowing that because it means one, Anderson's playing better in front of the net instead of being a perimeter shooting type. And that Rafael Harvey Pinard, we saw it on the power play at the end of this game here, is so good at deflecting pucks and creating opportunities. A lot like Brendan Gallagher used to be in front of the Canadians net there. 
And my thought is next year is you got to go or at least give it an opportunity is you go Caulfield, Suzuki, Harvey Pinard. You have a shooter, you have a distributor, playmaker, and you have a guy who just gets himself into scoring positions. Even if Caulfield's not scoring on his shot, if you've got Harvey Pinard in front of the net for rebounds or tip-ins, you're creating a potential for so much more offense. And Josh Anderson, now that they found a way to utilize him properly, can play with Kirby Doc there on another line and be that net front guy who also works at deflecting and getting those short-range chances on net. It's so strange to be thinking about this because I believe it was maybe that's Ian, uh, Ian Boisvert on Twitter pointed this out. Harvey Pinard's in a contract year. He got a two-year entry-level deal because uh, he signed it when he was 22. He played one year on an AHL contract as an overager coming out of the QMJHL. And honestly, he's setting himself up pretty well to get paid. You know, two good AHL seasons. And now coming into this contract year, he's cashing in with a huge NHL contract. And my thought is, what does that deal look like? I don't think he's going to get a ton. But would you pay Harvey Pinard five years at like 1.25? I would. If he can grow like he's doing right now. He scored 14 goals in basically the second half of the season here in Montreal. On a bad team. On a very bad team. They're the fifth worst team in the NHL. What's he going to do when this team is healthy? And there's more distributors and there's more opportunities and teams just can't hone in on a line there. I think you I think Kent Hughes is in a very ideal situation here. It's not one that I think anyone was paying attention to because everyone's looking at Cole Caulfield's contract situation, which I thought today would have been a perfect time to drop that given the other news in the world. Harvey Pinard's an interesting guy because he's the perfect candidate that if you buy low and give them term and they continue to grow and they continue to grow and they continue to grow you're going to cash in huge on value. Yeah, you have to pay him at the end of it, but he's also older. He's 24 years old. If you give him that, you know, five-year contract, let's say, I, I would love that. Give him term to keep the money down a little bit, and he becomes a solid 15 to 20 goal guy in the middle of your lineup while your younger pieces develop and Cole Caulfield becomes your star sniper, et cetera. You're laughing. Because you've got a cost-controlled goal-scoring asset for dirt cheap. And it's very clear he can hang out in the top six and be fine. He can hang out in the middle six and be fine. He could probably be a fourth-liner and be fine. But I think we're seeing at this point that that's almost miscasting Raphael Harvey-Pinard as a fourth-liner. Even as a bottom six player. He's got that offensive upside and hustle there. I, I, there's a lot of bodies that got to move around here. Obviously, Yola is still under contract. Evgeny, uh, Evgeny Dodonov, uh, Denis Gurionov is an RFA with a qualifying right. You have Yessi Alonen. You have other players coming back. Doc is out injured. Anderson is out injured. Obviously, Caulfield's out injured. You just got Jake Evans back. Christian Dvorak's out injured. You got guys who are going to want to try and graduate from the AHL. What do you do with Alex Belzeal and Michael Pizzetta? Fourth liners, but they've earned their NHL spots. What do you do with your next draft pick? 
there's a lot of moving pieces here, but I think Harvey Pinard is the piece that is going to be a constant here very soon. I forgot Uri Slavkovsky is also going to be back next year, obviously not injured. There's a lot of opportunities and someone like Harvey Pinard, a lot who can plug in play makes Martin St. Louis job easier. I guess we'll see. I'd I'd like to see a longer term extension for Harvey Pinard. I'd be very curious to see what kind of money he gets out of that. Given he's been mostly an AHL guy, but he's clearly an NHL player. We'll find out this off season. And speaking of this off season, couldn't have just a normal start into the weekend. Rumors are flying. There might be some front office changes coming in Montreal. We're going to take those with a grain of salt. We're going to talk about those coming up next. We are back here at Locked On Canadians. It is just myself today. I am your host, Scott Metla, at Scott Metla on Twitter. And thank you, as always, for making us your first listen. Wherever you get your daily podcasts or if you are watching on YouTube, thank you so much. It means the world to myself and Laura. We were wondering what we were going to do besides the mailbag for the game to, or for the show tonight. And then sitting down before game time uh, from BPM Sports in uh, Montreal. Uh, one of the French radio networks. It was uh, Martin Leclerc, uh, I believe, was talking to Nick Kiprios. And Nick Kiprios mentioned that the Canadians' front office might be moving around a little bit here in that Jeff Gordon might be bored and can get an NHL um, GM job whenever he wants and may leave in search of that. And my first thought is, that's less than ideal. Because as much as I trust Kent Hughes, I think Jeff Gordon is a very good presence to have here. It's very clear that Gordon operates a little bit more in the shadows of this organization here. Because the power is actually split among the top. It is no longer just Mark Bergevin. I am your God. Worship me now. I do everything. Hughes and Gordon have split the roles that they have for this team very well. And honestly, a grain of salt, as with every rumor out there, it doesn't make sense for Gorton to want to leave. There's not exactly a GM job that is just snapping open at the current moment here. Toronto depends on their playoff series, obviously. Lou Lamarillo is not going anywhere on the island. Ron Hextall is staying in Philly or uh, Pittsburgh. Daniel Briere seems to be the favorite to take over full-time in Philadelphia. Yarmo's not going anywhere in Columbus. I'm struggling to think of a team that's going to jettison a GM at this point. Buffalo likes Kevin Adams. Ottawa with Pierre Dorian. They seem to be moving up there. The only team I could see doing anything, and I don't think they will because they're perfectly content with the mediocrity right now, is Winnipeg. And I don't think they're going anywhere either. I... I would be stunned to see Jeff Gordon leave. He's the president of hockey operations, the VP there. He's done a very good job helping make Kent Hughes' life easier. So Hughes and the scouts and other people in that front office can focus on their jobs. You don't have people pulling at so many strings, trying to do so many things at once, which was one of the biggest issues the previous regime had is that Mark Bergman did not have a president of hockey operations. 
He had no one to split that workload. And that's tough, especially in a demanding market. Being able to delegate out things to people who work with you is important. We've seen it in Toronto where you have um, Brendan Shanahan and you have Kyle Dubas and you have everyone working together in that organization. Yes, playoff success, I know, etc. But the building blocks are there. The one thing I really want to see from the Canadians is I want to see an AHL GM at some point. I think that's really important. Take one more thing off of Hughes's plate. Let him work on negotiating contracts and assigning scouts and doing other general manager-y things. Your AHL GM should be in contact with your NHL GM, obviously. But I think that's the one thing that I want from this team. And I don't think Jeff Gordon's going anywhere. And I was talking with someone in a DM and they asked, well, who would take over for Jeff Gordon at this point? Who in the organization would do that? And my first thought was Vincent LeCavalier is the special assistant to the hockey operations department there, or special advisor, I should say. I don't know if he'd be ready for that role, but it would make a lot of sense that he would transition into that from the special advisor role. I'm also not thrilled about that prospect because... He is very new to this, into hockey management. It's like when Daniel Briere was in the running for Canadians GM. You know, it makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, does it? As I'm looking at things right now, Jeff Gordon is the executive vice president of hockey operations. Ken Hughes is the general manager. John Sedwick's the AGM. Martin Lapointe, director of player personnel and amateur scouting. Nick Bobrov, uh, Co-director of amateur scouting, Vincent LeCavalier, special advisor to hockey operations, coaches, obviously. Uh, I don't see like a direct ready-made like replacement in here. You know, Adam Nicholas, director of hockey development. No, Scott Pellerin, hockey development assistant, hockey analytics. It's not them. Like all due respect to Chris Boucher and his staff who are phenomenal. But Vincent LeCavalier feels like the only one in there that I go, ah, okay, you're being groomed for this job. That is why you're being treated here, why you're going through this right now. And I honestly don't think it's the right move. Not right now. He's inexperienced. And around the league, I don't know who they would look to bring in. Because obviously, Jeff Gordon has a wealth of experience between the Rangers and everything else. I don't love the idea of him going. And I also don't think he's going anywhere, to be quite honest with you. I don't think he's going anywhere. I'm, I'm taking this with a huge grain of salt. If they were a few years down in the rebuild, maybe, and maybe he wants a new challenger. He wants to go somewhere else where he can be the head honcho again, but he's got the perfect job right now. He might be doing a lot of the work behind the scenes. And Kent Hughes is the one finalizing these things as the general manager or going with things. But Hughes is the one at the forefront of everything. Jeff Gordon gets to operate behind somebody else here, despite being Hughes's boss, I guess you would say. I don't know the tier hierarchy. It lists Jeff Gordon as the head there and then Kent Hughes on the Canadian's website for hockey operations. But honestly, like, I don't, it doesn't make any sense why he would leave in the middle of all of this taking up and leaving to go potentially be GM somewhere. 
Where and again, where? Who is hiring a GM right now? There, there are not a lot of teams that I look at right now are going, we're hiring a new GM or will be this offseason. Coaches, probably for sure. GMs, I don't think so. Barring any sort of, you know, insanity down the stretch here. I can think of GMs who should be fired, but won't. It doesn't make any sense. And I I just, it, I don't believe that right now. Uh, I'm curious to see what other people think here. Obviously, everyone's going to have their own opinions on how Gorton and Hughes have handled uh, the rebuilding so far. Please share them with us at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter, LockdownCanadians at gmail.com as well. We will be getting to your mailbag questions at a point next week once Laura is back. Obviously, a little bit of technology issues, so I am the one just kind of riding the uh, riding the train here to bring you your Friday episode of Locked On Canadians. Remember, you can find us wherever you find your daily podcasts on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever. We are on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell to get notified every time we go live. And if you are watching this on Saturday, you're going to want to tune in Dropping at midnight Saturday morning, there Friday into Saturday, whatever. Special interview with a very uh, good friend of ours, Patrick Bexell, coming on to talk European draft prospects. We had a really nice about half an hour conversation about two big names and kind of set up one of our next series in there. You're not going to want to miss out on that because with the Canadians potentially missing out on Connor Bedard, you got to know who else is out there. Patrick has all the information right from the coach's mouth for that. I am Scott Matley. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Matley. Follow the podcast at LO underscore Canadians. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. We will see you all next time.